Will you stand as you are able for the reading of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with the 13th chapter, verse 10. On the Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman who was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of God for us, the beautiful and beloved people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Today, as I mentioned earlier, we continue our sermon series on courage. The first Sunday, Pastor Jasmine reminded us that courage is not something for the special ones. It's not for the super, just for the superheroes and the fire jumpers and the tightrope walkers or the soldiers even. It's something that we all inherit. It is innate in each of us, a gift given because we are children of God. But sometimes I wonder what good is a gift if we can't see its purpose or its function, right? It's just a a box wrapped in pretty paper. So last week, Pastor showed us that courage first gains strength when we have clarity of purpose, when we can wipe the smudges from our glasses and see clearly what God is asking us to do. We have all been given this gift But the next step is with the Holy Spirit unwrapping the package and seeing the calling and the vision ahead. I pictured my sister on Christmas time uh, uh, getting new ballet shoes. I knew she was getting ballet shoes. She didn't. And she got this box, and my sister knew very little of what was in store for her with just the box, but when she finally unwrapped it and got those shoes in the hand, she could see the hours of passes and chasses and all those other dance moves that I can't do. I imagine she could see, if not exactly, the future programs and the laced costumes and all the creative passion. In Jesus' case, clarity came for him when he was in the synagogue before, when he unrolled that scroll. And you remember what the scroll said, anyone from last week? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. 
He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He got clarity. He knew what was ahead for him as well. And with this clarity, he was able to continue in courageous ministry, healing, teaching, preaching. Healing like this instance we just read about in Luke 13. It's funny, again, we find Jesus here in a synagogue. He's always in the synagogues, as a good rabbi is, when his attention is drawn to this woman who has been crippled for 18 years. She's hunched over. She can't probably lift her head above her waist. I picture her like having to turn from side to side to see her neighbors. 18 years like this. As we started brainstorming earlier, I want you to picture someone or someone's struggling in similar ways, ways that are difficult to ignore. There's pictures in your bulletin, but maybe you picture a person on a ventilator, an all-too-common situation these days. A woman not being able to hold her newborn baby because of COVID, having to view her baby on a monitor. People dying from a preventable solution or waiting in line for food and vaccines like these people are in South Africa. Nurses and doctors grieving. loss of another patient, children having to deal with the complications of such recklessness. This is how kids learn these days. The challenges of learning in these new environments. Or maybe you picture children fleeing war-torn countries, sleeping wherever they can find rest. Women and men struggling to get to the airport in Afghanistan. Have you seen the images seeking refuge in the U.S. and other places where they live in greater freedom, where their daughters can get educated. Or maybe you picture rescue operations in Haiti and in Tennessee from the floods and the earthquakes where they've lost their homes and their livelihoods. Or maybe, just maybe, you picture friends and family closer to home who live on the street and are just trying to make it by. Whatever you see, I imagine that this is what Jesus saw in this woman here. The face, the image of suffering. But as Jesus sees this woman, he's standing in the synagogue, I'm sure he also remembers it's the Sabbath. After all, he is a preacher, he knows his scripture, and he's standing in his church. 
He thinks about the Torah, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Exodus 20, 8 through 10. Work is forbidden. Any sort of healing is also forbidden. There are other things Jesus was supposed to be doing. And not just that, but if he did do something, there would have been a price surely to have been paid. And while I don't think this is a perfect analogy, I relate such contemplation of Christ that goes beyond the text to us seeing these pictures here and thinking, oh, I wish I could stop and help, but I've got to get to work. My boss would not like it if I was late. I can't sacrifice the time. I've got to get home to my partner, to my spouse, to my caregiver, to my grandmother. They've got dinner on the table. I better hurry. I can't stop and help. Or those tickets. I've got concert tickets or soccer or baseball game tickets. Maybe it's that monetary cost for you. I just paid my bills and I have a little bit left over, but I I wanted to use that cash for a new phone or a new iPad, a brand new shirt, or save it up for a down payment on a car. In the face of suffering, how often do we see the personal price tag and turn away? I've done it. Anyone else? Yet in the face of suffering, Christ makes a different choice. He decides that not helping is not an option. He's convicted, and maybe he's angry. This cannot stand. I imagine Jesus remembering his calling, his anointing to liberate the oppressed. The Spirit is upon him after all. To not help would be fully inconsistent with the covenant he had made. Tom Berlin, the author of this book on courage that I mentioned earlier, says, as we experience anger, longing, or urgency, we find that in many ways, courage has found us more than we find courage. So Jesus acts. He calls the woman forward, and she steps forward. What an act of courage as well. I don't think we talk about that enough. To step into the presence of God. After all, you all are here. That's an act of courage. And then Christ says, woman, be free. After 18 years, be free. We know from past examples, though, Jesus healing on the Sabbath before, there's a story in Luke 6 of a man with a disheveled hand and that he can heal with just words. But Jesus goes beyond this lip service, doesn't it? Doesn't he? He, he places his hands on this woman. And she immediately straightens up to stand again in the presence of God. Christ's action touching her, someone who was viewed as unclean, may have been an attempt to restore her socially as well as physically, an act of fellowship with someone on the margin. For those of us with the means, it's 
often easiest to give money to the church, which is not a bad thing, to charities that help people, than it is to actually show up, to donate the toiletry kits and the hand sanitizer, than it is to come and be in community with our friends at the front door. I don't want to socialize with them. I don't want to be associated with them. But it's not about us, is it? We need to get out of our own way, our own comfort zones, if we are to have an authentic conviction like Jesus. It's time to scale up that courage to worship, to serve, to grow, and to engage in physically proximal ways. As we get closer to the wounds of the world, we may just find that God works more miracles there in us and in our neighbors. Yet such action, such courage is bound to ruffle a few feathers. The scripture tells us that the synagogue leader was incensed. He was furious. There are six days for which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on to the Sabbath day. And Christ fires back, you hypocrites. And then, as Joseph Fitzmaier notes, he uses a common pattern of reasoning with the Jewish, which the Jewish people would have been familiar with, arguing from light to heavy. Does not each of you on the Sabbath have an animal from the manger and you lead it away to get it water? That's work. And ought not this woman, a child of God, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? As we discussed in Small Group Wednesday, it is interesting, I bet both of these men, Jesus and the synagogue leader, thought that their anger was righteous. After all, they were both angry. Synagogue leader was incensed, and if you read your Bible translations, Jesus says, you hypocrites, exclamation point. And they were both listening to the law. Keep the Sabbath holy. I am the Lord, Exodus. Love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord, Leviticus. We know now in faith that Jesus held the more holy conviction for which he was later killed. But that took time for people to understand. It's like Martin Luther King Jr., celebrated by many Southern whites today, but people who would probably have been responsible for his death in the 60s. Maybe time reveals all things, but is it truly impossible in the moment to know if someone's anger, someone's discontent for the status quo is righteous? The more I've thought about this this week, the more I think it has to do with the first aspect of courage. What we talked about last week, clarity. Clarity supports conviction which supports courage, which leads to action, which leads to greater clarity and greater faith. Berlin writes, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it is important to go to the well of living water, to go to it over and over and over again. 
to evaluate everything based on what we know to be true when the Holy Spirit is next to us. To think, does this have to do more with God and neighbor, or is it just about Jay? Is this a Mary Jackson desire, or is this something that would give life to others? Courage arises from those God-inspired convictions, Pastor Tom says. Jesus teaches that it is important, even necessary, to hold conviction that is rooted in God's love, God's love and mercy. Care for people is at the heart of faith. Freedom is at the heart of faith. Jesus knew this. That is the essence of who God is. From Egypt and the Exodus to Jesus and freedom from sin and death. The synagogue leader's anger was at liberation. He was mad that people were being freed, that this woman was being freed. He was attempting to constrain while Christ was trying to emancipate those whom Satan confined. Ought not all be free? This is how we know what holy convictions are. Today and every day is a holy day, is it not? Can I get an amen? And ought not all be free today and tomorrow and the next day? My friends, every day is a holy day. Ought not we be free? Immediately following this passage is a couple of short verses about the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus asked, what is the kingdom like? To what can I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in a garden and it grew and developed into a tree and then birds nested in its branches. Again, he said, to what can I compare God's kingdom? It's like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through the hole. I believe the story of this crippled woman anticipates these questions. A real-world example, if you will, of what the kingdom will look like. Will we co-create a rule-abiding kingdom or a justice-driven kingdom? Is it more important to have a reign of conformity or a rule of conviction? Do we first seek composure or do we seek courage? It is my prayer this week that when we see these images of suffering, when we see the images of suffering closer to home, that we do not defer action for fear of the cost. But like the mustard seed that grew into a giant tree or a yeast working its way to leaven a whole loaf of bread, that our convictions, our righteous anger, our desperation, our desires for change lead us to courageous, courageous action. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.